How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 37 of X-Last, where we're going to be kicking off the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 5s. And we're doing so with, uh, well, the book of the week for the past several weeks. Uh, we're doing it with Marauders number 5. Now, this had a March 2020 cover date. The story is called The Time to Sew, written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Matteo Lali and Lucas Wernick. Colors, Federico Blee. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X, Hickman. Edits, Robinson White Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99 American, and went on sale January 1st, 2020. Now we open in the Arctic with uh, Iceman and Christian Frost, and a little bit of a lecture on climate change, which I know might be a divisive topic for some. And in the interest of keeping this program as apolitical as humanly possible, we'll just move on. Now, once done, they head back to Krakoa on Christian's submarine, the Mercury, while exchanging dialogue that might be intended as flirty or flirtatious? I'm not sure. Uh, Christian asks Bobby to leave the Marauders and join him on his travels on the, uh, on the Mercury. He also makes the cardinal sin of referring to Kate as Kitty, which Bobby is quick to correct him with a, uh, you know, call her Kate. And no matter how many times you ask and how politely you do so... I'm probably not going to do it. From here, we go into our credits and roll call. We've got Call Me Kate, Iceman, Pyro, Bishop, Storm, Christian Frost, Emma Frost, and Sebastian Shaw. We rejoin Comics Action in uh, Hellfire Bay, where the king and queens of the Hellfire uh, Trading Corporation are uh, discussing logistics and whatnot. Christian arrives back mid-meeting, and it looks like things are already getting contentious. Now, you see that Shaw wants Kitty and her crew to do this pickup in Madripoor, because his black bishop, Shinobi Shaw, will be otherwise engaged in South Africa. He refers to this Madripoor gig as a simple milk run, just routine, run-of-the-mill, no big deal, and then says it's women's work, which, come on, dude, you're outnumbered here, don't, don't do that. Uh, Kitty says, hey, let's put it to a vote, and, well, duh, Shaw gets outvoted by the queens. Shinobi Shaw looks on, and he's almost impressed at how easily Kitty and Emma are able to get under his father's skin. From here, we shift two moments later in Kitty's base of operations, known as the Red Keep. It's worth noting that Emma had time to either get a haircut or change her wig in the time it took to get there. And, oh, have I mentioned that Kitty's been drinking the whole time so far? Because, uh, well, she has, t- she has been, and uh, she continues to here, because uh, I guess mutant drinking is, uh, is cool, or... However, whatever cool way you spell cool, that isn't cool. Uh, anywho, they're talking. Emma downloads Krakoan into Kitty's head, so now she can understand it. And they actually have a really good chat here. 
they both admit to being scared of the Krakoan uh, resurrection process, um, but for different reasons. Uh, one, one reason is kind of serious, the other reason is a little silly. Now, Kitty's scared that it just plain won't work for her. You know, if you're following along, you know she has not been granted access to the gateways, so maybe Krakoa doesn't see her as, you know, part of the family. So she's afraid if she dies, it's a one-way trip. Emma, she's not afraid of not coming back. She's just afraid of which nose she'll wake up with. Wonk, wonk, wonk. Now, they talk for a bit about how different their lives might have been had Kitty chosen the Massachusetts Academy instead of Xavier's way back in the long ago, which is a super cool callback. I love that. And it's actually not something I'd even considered. Um, Emma suggests that uh, she probably would have destroyed Kitty back in the day. Uh, they wrap up their meeting, and they head out to meet with some new Krakoan refugees and to get them out of their horrid human clothes. Um, yeah, the sass here is a little bit strong. I think I think even, like, current-year Mr. Sinister might have thought this was overkill. He's like, hey, you know, cool it, guys. This is a bit much. So, we're with these new refugees. We're meeting, we're greeting, but it's short-lived. Pyro runs in to report that the upstart is locked in battle in Madripoor Bay. First of all, the upstart. Oh, I love it. <laughs> this is uh, Shinobi Shaw's vessel, in case it isn't totally clear. Um, over the past several issues, I've been wondering if I was alone in remembering the, the poor upstarts, but uh, I love to see this callback. Um, and it's funny, Emma is kind of turned off by the name, which is totally understandable, considering that the upstarts were responsible for, you know, the short-lived deaths of her Hellions back in 1991, so... Callback upon callback upon callback, and I absolutely love it. Now, Kitty and Bishop, they rush off to offer Shinobi some assistance. Kitty runs to the Marauder. Bishop runs through a gateway, because, of course, he can do that. Now, Sebastian watches this and looks as though he might be in on whatever's about to occur. He stands there, looking like he's smelling something foul for a moment, but that's just kind of the face he has, before stepping through a Krakoan gateway himself. From here, we jump to an info page, and it's from the X-Desk. And it talks about some of the stuff we're about to see, and is uh, maybe a few paragraphs too long. <laughs> um, I feel like these info pages should be kept a little bit lighter, a little bit breezier, because when I look at this, it's just... It feels like homework, you know? It's like, there's a lot of stuff here to read. And unfortunately, it's just not all that interesting. Um, so... We're in Madripoor, and uh, from the looks of it, Bishop's leaping from building to building. Uh, I mean, that's exactly what it looks like he's doing, but I couldn't tell you why. Uh, he sees a group of young people all packing heat. He approaches one to find out, uh, you know, just what in the hell's going on here. He's advised that they've been told that a group called Varendi, or Varendi, is paying for dead mutants. Hmm... Now, Bishop pays him a little bit more money just to leave the docks and go home. He then reconnoiters with Storm and fills her in on what he just learned. But, uh, you know, before they can do much about it, they see the upstart and they head on over. Inside, they find Shinobi Shaw cowering with a half-dozen children. Before they can, I guess, rescue him, uh, Storm and Bishop are attacked by some very familiar-looking armored geeks. And uh, guess what they're packing? Come on. Come on, this is, a, this is a villain in a Dawn of X X-Men book. What do you think they got? What do you think they got? Well, they've got, wait for it, power-dampening gear. 
Yeah. Okay. Storm. <laughs> these these are you know the same suits of armor we've already seen before. So it's I guess we can allow it, but it's still a bit much. Uh, Storm dodges a blast from one and decides to show him how she doesn't need her powers to still pose a threat. And so she, uh, well, she stabs him in the eye with her vibranium knife. Ouch. Um, Bishop, he's still got some big old Liefeldian firearms with him, so his loss of powers really doesn't affect him either at this juncture. So, sorry, guys. Um, Now we zoom out, and we see that the Tiny Tots Hellfire Club is watching all of this go down. And they confirm that they got the suits of power-dampening armor from the Russians, who, as mentioned, we saw them all the way back in Marauders Number 1. Uh, from here, we get an info page on the group known as Hamenes Varendi, which, if my Latin's right, or if uh, you know Google translates right, uh, it means men gowns. I thought, okay. Uh, now, this is our little hellfires here, so let's meet them. They're broken up into you know black and white royalty as well. So we have the White King and White Queen are Manuel and Duque and Wilhelmina Kensington, respectively. The White Bishop is Chen Zhao, the uh, the woman we met last uh, over the past several issues, whose husband is part of the uh, the X Men worship cult in uh, was it Taipei. Uh, the White Knight is listed as being vacant. We hop across to the other side. The Black King is Cade Kilgore. The Black Bishop is Maximilian Frankenstein, and the Black Knight is also vacant. Now from here, we zip back to the Marauder, where Kitty, Iceman, and Pyro are headed toward Madripoor. Suddenly, a huge vessel appears on the horizon and is headed right for them. It looks as though our heroes are in for a sort of like a T-bone situation here. Pyro calls out the brace for impact, but the captain has another idea. She manages, and this is a very, very cool and creative use of her power... She manages to phase the entire Marauder through this other ship. Really, really cool stuff. Now, Iceman celebrates briefly before realizing that they're about to be boarded by the hate monger and the executioner? Well, that's Marauders number five. Next up, Excalibur number five. But let's talk about this here. Let's, uh... Let's digest what we've just read here. Um, probably not my favorite issue of Marauders, but I still liked it a lot. Um, I love, 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 love the little nods to continuity that we're seeing here. Um, having Kitty and Emma refer back to the to that bidding war between the Massachusetts Academy and the Xavier School back, you know, way back in the long ago was unexpected and awesome. Also, further, you know. Further stabilizes your poor humble host's, uh, you know, erratic heart when it when it comes to what's in continuity, and what's not. It's looking more and more like everything is in continuity, and uh, I am more than happy <laughs> to have that. Um, and you know, even on the same subject, there, this was actually a great refresher because. I never actually put two and two together myself. Um, never saw this angle of the scenes that we see between Emma and Kitty, and I, I really, really dug it. I, you know, it's been so long since we've been with you know little Kitty, and uh, and we didn't know where she was gonna go. And it, 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 the refresher was nice. The refresher was nice. Um, another callback: Shinobi calling his vessel the Upstart. Friggin' awesome. And uh, as I said earlier, I was starting to think I was the only one that remembered them. Um, and, and hell, even showing Emma's less than happy reaction to learning that he named it that. Very, very cool. Now, speaking of the upstarts, 
it almost feels as though um, our little junior Hellfire Club here, they're almost like engaging in a similar practice to the upstarts here, uh, where they're, you know, they're, 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 they got, they have uh, rewards for killing mutants here, so only they've got like cash prizes rather than, you know, getting points and clout in like this society. So I wonder if this will wind up playing out like a 21st century version of the upstarts, which I tell you, it's not the worst idea, though I am wildly biased toward it. So take that with a with a grain of salt. Um, the opening uh, scene, you know, it's a little bit awkward to me. Um, you got to forgive me. I'm still learning this new take on uh, Bobby Drake here. Uh, I was kind of on the fringes of the X fandom when they decided to to you know change his sexuality and. Uh, while I don't have any problems with someone coming to a point in their lives where they decide to embrace and accept themselves, I remember not really digging the way they went about doing it. Um, if I'm remembering right, young Jean Grey basically invaded young Bobby Drake's mind and more or less told him that he was gay. And uh, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not sure there's a more or less about it. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. Um, and I feel like from that very moment, Bobby's entire character changed and... I feel uncomfortable saying it, but it almost like into a stereotype. Um, and I really don't feel comfortable talking about this because I have no real, real world frame of reference on the subject. And, you know, to be honest, my X book reading has been sparse in the interim between then and now. So I very well might have missed some actual character development um, in the offing there. Uh, I can't help but wonder, but I am scared to ask. Uh, <laughs> how did other X fans take to this uh, change in Bobby? Um I, it's one of the questions that I was, that, that was kind of percolating in my head when I, when I was coming back into the X fandom here, because this is a pretty big change. And, uh, you know, I would look online, but I'm sure I'd only find wildly hot and wildly cold takes there. Uh, I'd like to think the listeners of this program are a bit more even tempered and, uh, reasonable than your average interneter. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'd like to hear um, folks' take on on this change in Bobby. And like I said, I'm, I'm always down with character development and evolution and whatnot, but I can't help to feel like this was more of a stunt than an actual progression. Plus, it was written by Bendis, who, I mean, if he didn't have stunt writing, he'd have no writing at all. So yeah, you know what I'm taking the scenic route to say here is the opening bit felt a little bit awkward, but that might just be me, um, you know, still getting getting used to this uh this different approach on the character as well and uh speaking of changes in character i don't want to kvetch about kitty drinking again i mean it is what it is i've joked about it before but like are we headed toward an intervention issue i mean because if this were a tv show or a movie seeing somebody always having a drink in their hand is is kind of like writery shorthand for you know, this character is an alcoholic. Is that where we're headed? Or are we still trying to sell 18-page pamphlets for four to five bucks a pop to 15-year-olds who think drinking is the pinnacle of cool? I just don't know. This feels, like, very try-hard. And uh, as ever, I just don't I just don't much care for it. Um, let's see here. I like the feeling that Sebastian Shaw is kind of orchestrating some of what we're seeing here. And, uh... Because he doesn't seem all that surprised or bothered learning that his son's ship was under attack. Uh, my question would be, is Shinobi in on this con as well? Because uh, if Sebastian is willing to put his son in harm's way without him you know, being in on it, 
that's some you know pretty savage stuff. I feel like we might be getting like a Shinobi redemption arc here as a result of Sebastian's machinations, and uh, if that's the case, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Overall, we're kicking off the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 5 strong with this one, and I can only hope that this level of quality holds up over the next five episodes of this program. But that's about all I have to say about this issue, but uh, let's hop into the mailbag here. We have... We have a missive from Damien, and then we have uh, a missive from someone who's, uh, whose feathers I might have ruffled a little bit, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> first, we're going to start with Damien. This one's regarding X-Force number four. He says, I'm very confused by X-Force. Issue three was a pretty good issue, but number four is pretty terrible. I do not understand the decision to make Storm and Jean the most hawkish ca- members of the Quiet Council. I would expect them to be amongst the most compassionate. Weird choice. I agree. Definitely a weird choice, and really plays into my, you know, main criticism of Ben Percy's writing, is that everything feels forced and written from written in reverse. It's like they almost have to have these characters make these points just to get to, like, this spectacular line that he dreamt up in the shower that he has to drop in every, into, into the book, you know? It's, it's not the greatest. <laughs> it really isn't. Uh, Damien continues, As for Forge, I'll be honest, I haven't read much of him beyond the Muir Island saga, so maybe I missed a change in his personality, but this feels so out of character. I suspect they're trying to communicate his excitement at all new, at these new types of technology, but he really comes across as a Deadpool type. I've always interpreted him as a fairly morose character. Even when he was shown joking with Banshee, there tended to be a dark tone to his humor. Yeah, this is probably the worst I've ever seen Forge handled. And I I don't know what they're going for with it. I don't know why we need, like, this dopey, jokey arms merchant under Krakoa. I don't know why we need that, when Forge was a fine character as it was. I mean, I don't need him arm wrestling with Wolverine and, and, and having pet names for each other. It's, it's just silly. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's um, a lot. It's 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 the Marvel method these days. Round pegs into square holes. You know, if if the characters aren't what you want them to be, well, you just change the character into what you want them to be anyway. And that's kind of what it feels like here. I don't know if this will pay off anywhere down the line. I don't know if like we're gonna find out that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, Damien continues. I had the same suit jubilee sage reaction as you. It definitely is unwise to put other characters in yellow jackets. I was momentarily confused. And yes, Jubilee and Sage's outfits are almost identical. I mean, to the to the yellow, bright yellow jacket and the gaudy pink sunglasses. And, and the same color hair, you know? It's like, I really wonder. I'm like, oh, Jubilee's hair grew out. <laughs> and we see that a lot in these damn books, because there's like no continuity <laughs> with art. We don't have the uh, Jose Gar- Jose Luis Garcia Lopez character Bibles anymore. It's like, it's like, oh, I forgot, I forgot to draw that that this person only has one arm in this uh, in this panel. Ah, screw it. Who cares? Keep him in there anyway. It's continuity in the art is uh, is lacking. Um, <laughs> Damien wraps up with, by the way, you theorize that they should give adamantium skeletons to everyone, but I thought it only worked on Logan due to his healing factor. Most of the characters would die if their bones were encased in metal, and that's. Absolutely 100% percent 
fact. Yes, I wasn't thinking about that. And this is reference to uh, Forge having, like, this giant tub of molten adamantium for any time Wolverine is resurrected. So they'll have it to put on his bones here. And I question, like, hey, why not put it on everybody? Totally forgetting the fact that the only reason Wolverine was able to go through the Weapon X uh, process was because he had the healing factor, which, uh, which would stop the adamantium poisoning, of course. So thank you for pointing that out. I... I totally spaced it. <laughs> but uh, thank you as always for writing in. Thank you for uh, thank you for everything. Uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, an email from David K. And it was a short one. And it goes a little something like this. Please enlighten me as to your review, review process, dot, dot, dot. I hope I'm not, like, projecting a tone onto, <laughs> onto your email. But uh, this sounds... Uh, I don't know, I hope I didn't get under your skin with anything I said. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the question is. Um, I don't know... You see, because the thing of it is, I don't know that anything I do would qualify as a review. You know, um, maybe review in the broadest sense, but not, like... I don't know, there's a difference between, like, giving your opinion on something and... And doing a review in my in my book in my point of view, um, I'm thinking like like if I just tell you that I like something or I don't like something, that's that's all I'm doing, and I think that's kind of what I do on this show and what I do on the blog. Um, if I review something, I don't know. I feel like I need to like assign a score to it, and that's not something I care to do because I feel like so many places abuse that. Uh, a lot of the online, re- uh, uh, what's it? Uh, reviewers, um, they will over-rely on their scoring and less so on their actual opinions. You know, I, I you could say that something is an average book, but you still need to get those that, that clout from the pros, so you're going to give it a 10 out of 10 anyway. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't see much value in that. Um, but, you know, to tell a story here, uh, I have worked on sites... And I, I still continue to work on sites and other shows where they do use a uh, they use they use a metric. Um, I've done reviews for places that do like the the one out of five, the the one to five, or the one to ten review score. I've also done things that give letter grades. You know, um, as to what my process would be, um, if I'm reviewing something for a site that uses, let's say. You know, uh, an out of ten. You know, a, you give a score from one to ten. I start at a seven. Before I even pick up the book, I am at a seven because I think, I believe truly that most comic books are average, and I think a seven is an average score. So, I pick up the book. It's a seven. From there, I go up or I go down. So if I finish reading it and I, you know, and it was so much better than average. I'll bring it up to an 8 or 9. If I'm reading it and it's getting worse and worse and worse as I go, it's going to tick down to the 6 and into the 5s. Um, that's kind of how I would do something like that. But for what I do here, I don't know that review is the right word for it. Um, I'm just sharing my thoughts here, and uh, I'm not looking for clout. I'm not looking for... I'm not looking to have... 
Here's the thing. I'm not looking to have my opinions validated by Brian Bendis or Gail Simone or, or insert creator here, or Jonathan Hickman even. I, I don't need them to validate my opinion. I don't need them to share my opinion. I'm giving you my opinion because it's my opinion. And uh, I don't know that I'd ever told anybody not to buy something or to buy something. I I just give the recommendation as I as I see it, where it's just, you might like this or you might not like this. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope I'm answering the question, because um, frankly, I, I, don't, I don't so much understand it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not usually asked for... Uh, for like peeks behind the curtain, I usually offer them before I'm, before I'm, you know, requested to do it, and uh, so I'm, when I'm when I'm asked to do it, I'm I'm kind of taken off guard. But uh, I hope that answers it. I uh, I, I call what we do here uh, discussions and and visits, and uh, when I write something, I'll, I'll label it as a discussion and review because, like in the broad sense, I am giving an opinion on it, which is a review. But the discussion is the more important part, uh, I feel. I feel like uh, having a, a dialogue, even if it's just with myself, is part of this process um, where the actual, you know, assigning a score to it um, or anything that goes with it, uh, good or bad, is kind of just secondary. Um, if, if I'm working on a site that does that, I got no problem, you know, if I borrow someone's car, I'm going to return it with a full tank of gas. You know, I treat it like like it's my own. I, I don't want to uh, ruffle any feathers in that kind of regard. But uh, for what I do here on X-Lapse, and I'm not sure which program, which episode uh, you might be referencing. This might not even be an X-Lapse question, but it came to the email box. But uh, that's my re- review process, I guess. <laughs> I hope that answered the question. If it didn't, reach out again. Or if that's even if it's going to be for this show. Who knows? Um... So yes, yeah, if uh, if there's any more information you want, uh, definitely reach out. Let me know uh, what I can elaborate on, and uh, we'll go from there. But thank you for uh, for reaching out. I really appreciate the uh, the engagement. So thank you. But I think that is where we'll uh, we'll end it for today. Uh, next time out, we have Excalibur number five, uh, and Excalibur number four was probably the strongest issue so far. So. Uh, I'd say I'm expecting big things, but I'm I'm really not. I am a realist and, and a cynic, so I'm expecting to be disappointed. But uh, hey, that's when the best surprises happen, right? So if you want to get a hold of me, if you have any questions for me, uh, you can reach out to uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com or at Ace Comics on Twitter. You can find the show notes at chris'sonfiniteearth.com, where I'm also starting to get back into uh, writing some text pieces here. Uh, today I wrote a piece on a blockbuster video X-Men one-shot called Be Extra Safe with the X-Men. And it's a, it's a PSA, which uh, you know, might be expected, but it is a wildly strange PSA that I, I recommend folks check out. That's it. Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. Uh, this is also the X-Lapsed page, xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Find us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. Tumblr is... X hyphen lapsed dot tumblr maybe I don't know uh, there's also the full audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com but I think that is where we'll leave it today so one last huge thank you to everybody and until next time I will talk to you again real soon see ya see ya